Welcome to another live recording of the Linking the Travel Industry podcast, where we discuss travel industry news you are talking about on LinkedIn. My name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I am the CEO of Agentivity, where we make it our mission to elevate the serviceability of travel management companies, whilst also eliminating the disruption caused by bookings being made in multiple channels. Welcome everyone, I'm Anne, and I'm a consultant with LeapShift. Happy to help you with anything related to retail, NDC, one order and distribution. I also work as an instructor with both IATA and Aeroclass. Hi everyone, my name is Ash and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you only the important updates in under 15 minutes. Additionally, I'm the vice president at Traxo, and this is Linking the Travel Industry. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where we've gathered some industry news. But before we get there, I want to invite Susan uh, from Magnatech on the stage. I've asked her to join and she's kindly agreed. I'll ask you to join us today just to give us a quick update around the situation in Israel and what you are experiencing there with regards to duty of care responsibilities. Hi, everyone. My name is Susan Enners, Regional Director of Sales at APAC for Magnatech. And uh, Magnatech is a Canadian company that does travel technology specifically for credit tracking, traveler tracking, and workflow automation. So um, I really appreciate you inviting me today, Rian, to talk about risk messaging that our tool, Safe2Go, does and um, how it relates to ongoing global disputes like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But I want to be really clear, I am not a conflict analyst or any kind of position to talk about the conflict itself. So I guess I should talk about first, just to give people some perspective, over the last 12 months, our safe to go system has recorded over 28,000 travel alerts globally. So that works out to an average of 80 incidents a day somewhere in the world that may disrupt somebody's travel. So that's a, that's a pretty high number if you think about it, because we really only hear top line items in the news like wildfires and storms and maybe airport closures. But the reality is there's all kinds of incidents that can disrupt travel. We categorize them at Magnatech. We categorize them into seven types, natural and environmental strikes and protests, crime and corruption, political developments, health and medical, conflict and terrorism, and then just general travel disruptions like highway constructions and railway issues and airport closures. So also divide them into severity from low to extreme. Good news is that vast majority, around 60% of the alerts that happened of those 28,000 alerts were strikes and protests and just general travel disruption. So about 75% of our alerts over the last 12 months were actually low to moderate. And thinking of natural disasters in particular, they're usually the ones that we think of when we hear extreme travel disruptions. Just in the last couple of months, we've had the wildfires in Italy and Hawaii and Canada and typhoons in Thailand and Japan and Florida. There's certainly no shortage of natural disasters, and each one of them can be devastating. But of course, the recent spike in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been particularly devastating. In the past week alone, we've seen 306 travel alerts in that region. 20 of them were applicable for surrounding areas like Egypt, Lebanon, and Jordan. So if you're a TMC or a travel agent, you might be thinking, well, I hardly ever have travels in that region. And I was thinking the same thing. So I was actually shocked to learn during that past week from the 7th to 13th of October, 306 alerts went to almost 12 and a half thousand travelers from clients of our TMCs all around the world. That's a huge number. 
So it's a known conflict zone. So surely there must have been some ongoing travel alerts for Israel, uh, West Bank and Gaza. And uh, so I went back in time and saw that, in fact, there was a pattern. Um, our data dates back to February 2020, which ironically, of course, is the start of the COVID pandemic. So some of the early numbers could be skewed due to everyone just in, on the planet, just bunkering down, staying put. So not too surprisingly, the volume of conflict and terrorism alerts for Israel, West Bank and Gaza were relatively low, around 70 each for the whole year. Wow. And then that doubled in 2021. And then in 2022, we saw another increase. So the tension has been notably growing year on year. And then, of course, it exploded into the events that started last week, where more than a year's worth of alerts came out in one week. And you've got a question for Susan, did you? I'm really um, shocked by the, by the mm. number. I mean, it's just baffling uh, to, to hear the number. Where were sort of the majority of the people traveling on business? Was it sort of spread sort of evenly around the, the region or is it predominantly in Israel or? So those alerts of the 306 alerts last week, specifically related to the Israeli-Palestine situation. So 306 alerts for the region, but only 20 of those were not Israel, West Bank and Gaza. So 20 of those were Jordan, Egypt and Lebanon. When I learned that it's around 80 issues a day, and we, at best, we might know of two, it was really surprising. And of course, not all of them are extreme and severe, but try and tell a traveler <laughs> that an inconvenience like not being able to get to the airport isn't that big of a deal when it means they're going to miss their flight and everything that goes along with that. Even the ones that are low to moderate and medium alerts are still significantly impactful to our travelers. Susan, thank you so much for A, staying up so late and giving us those interesting <laughs> I really appreciate it as, as always. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks so much. We can then start with my first story from last week. I posted about even more aircraft orders. My first one was China Eastern ordering 100 Comac C919. So this is, of course, the plane built by the Chinese themselves, and they've ordered 100 of them. You know, it's a good news for them as well. And I guess there's quite a queue at the other two manufacturers, right, Ash? That's right, especially with all the recent purchases that are being made. China is looking inwards and saying, hey, why don't we make this ourselves and, and do this ourselves? So here we go. I wonder if anybody else is uh, using plane outside of China. Do you know? I don't think so. He meets raises and maybe he's got something to say about it. Did you have a comment on this story? Yeah. Hi, good evening, guys. Uh, it's still awaiting uh, certification for international use. So primarily this will be used uh, for the domestic market. I wonder how that process works, you know, international <laughs> certification, but uh, that's probably a different discussion. I then talked about a report I saw by Andy Hoskins, uh, who's reporting from the Institute of Travel Management Autumn Conference. And uh, we're hearing stuff that I would have thought we would hear, you know, many years ago. And specifically mentioning this for you, but this is where buyers, in quotes, confronted airlines with NDC woes. This is not going away. And I'm not, you know, I read that headline and I'm, I feel despondent, right? I just, just don't like that headline at all. I, I just think, where is the dialogue here and why are we still having these discussions where there's woes being discussed? Right, Anne? Or is it just me? No, it's not just you. I thought it was um, quite depressing, actually. And it was very, um, I didn't like it either. Confront airlines. Mm -hmm. 
there was some rather, how shall I put it, not funny. Um, some some of the comments were really quite sensational that came out from from that, where she said that that keeps them awake at night, um, and and most of their travellers contact them and say that they can do the job better themselves. I actually, have a really good friend of mine who works for IKEA, and I reached out to him, and uh, he did confirm that. So. They obviously have some some work to do, but yeah, it was a bit it was a bit sad, right? Absolutely, that's the word sad. Any comments there, Ash? We all have to remember that the airline owns the product, and whoever owns the product can decide how they want to do things. And the rest of us have to learn how to adapt or uh, simply not use that uh, particular product anymore, in which case capitalism takes over. So we have to adapt and learn and change and and modify ourselves accordingly. My next story is, uh, I saw this was is very interesting and it's probably a sign of the times to come. It was a post I saw on Skift where they talk about an anticipated GCC zone visa, if you want, which will facilitate easy travel between Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait and Oman. Just to boost the, you know, the, the region's tourism, fitting in nicely with the plans that we know uh, Saudi Arabia has for their country. So very encouraging there. I think what it resembles is more towards the Schengen visa that we have. Yes. Uh, the Schengen visa model in Europe. So, you know, facilitating a seamless cross-border travel. I think this kind of collaborative approach really to boost tourism is something that, uh, you know, more regions should get together and do. It's just encouraging to see. And I mean, like Mahit said, totally in line with the aspirations of of these countries. And especially when you look at Saudi and their aspirations, it makes perfect sense. I think we should see a lot more of that in various regions of the world that can really collaborate. Major disruption this week. We saw, or was last week if you want, at London Luton Airport, there was a fire in a car park. It was not started by an electric vehicle, apparently, but a diesel-powered Range Rover caused massive damage. In fact, part of the airport parking there collapsed. Uh, The airport had to close all flights for quite a period, reopened later in the week. Horror stories of people being delayed and airlines not being able to cope with this. One thing that stood out for me there was contingency planning for this sort of thing. There seems to be no thinking around what happens if one of our car parks are on fire, which, you know, I would imagine is an edge case, but still um, very interesting that there was almost no planning for that scenario. And uh, quite a few horror stories there from the airport about passengers being left to their own devices. And I suspect uh, your eyes are rolling at the story, right? I mean, it's obviously sad, but it's just the, what's worse for me is the fact that there was almost no contingency in place there. It's really strange, isn't it, that, that people don't sort of paint the different scenarios and what's going to happen, what happens if A happens to B, etc. Isn't that something that we do anymore or considered old-fashioned or what? Any comments, Ash? Uh, well, I think this is what Susan was talking about earlier, Yes, uh, where there's so many things that can happen and this is like something that no one could ever think was possible on your way to the airport, but here it is. So having safe to go is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was very sudden announcement, very surprising announcement of Malaysia's My Airline suddenly just suspending operations, putting up notices that says they've got significant financial pressures and um, even, you know, no more airport presence. I see photos of airport desks closed with a sign up. Absolutely shocking and sudden movement there. Did not expect that one, Anne. No, I didn't see that one coming. And I love the name as well. My Airlines. Oh, can it get any better? Any but, better. but can it get any worse? Can it get any you know, worse? Moita, I think but, you, you picked me to say you might have a comment on the story, right? 
most of the new players uh, post pandemic you know in the airline industry are feeling a lot of pressure especially the financial pressures like my airline so they just started in 2021 very small player around 9 airbus and about 1400 seat capacity you know the pressure of competition from established players like air asia firefly you know that really and the national flag flag of course you know the malaysian airlines so all of that did not help their cause do remember you know the entire southeast asia asia region right now is around 20% lesser seat capacity uh, pre post pandemic the interesting question there mahit what is it that they don't see it's i, I think I've I've talked about this before. We don't really see any post-mortem stories much, do we? Mm-hmm. What yeah. actually went wrong? Uh, you know, the major problem is that, you know, established players have the say you know, because they have all the resources. They, you know, they can put uh, extra pressure on certain routes uh, by having more seat capacity. So I think that's what is cannibalization is happening. If I could add to this, you mentioned some of the pressures they were under and the, obviously the people they were you know, trying to uh, compete with. But I saw an interesting post again by Edward Russell this week that talked about statistics around the Turkish carrier Pegasus, you know, who's one of the most profitable airlines in the world. They are warning already that their airfares are dropping back to 2019 levels. They're still very positive about uh, you know, profitability and outlook and so on and so on. But it was interesting to note that the increase in fares seems to be resetting in uh, at least the Turkish market. I don't know if it's a sign for us of other markets to follow, but that was interesting to note to me as well. I want to take a moment just to turn to our audience and to say to you, thank you for giving us your time, especially on a Monday. I see some very familiar and recurring faces in the audience. We really appreciate you joining us so regularly. And for new faces, we hope you are enjoying this event indeed. If you haven't gone through the list of people already on here and connected to them, I encourage you to do so. This is something we really like to encourage. And um, we also pick a link of the week. And this week, we are going to suggest that you make sure you connect to Laura. Laura is the marketing manager at Aeroclass. And can you tell us why it is a good idea to be connected to, to Laura? And it's definitely a good idea to be connected to Laura. I know no one, no one better who is sort of keep tabs on what is actually going on. And of course, Aeroclass is a very impressive company that you should all take a look at who are in, in the various areas of this industry. Okay, brilliant. So Laura, well done being our link of the week. And thank you for attending our show and being such a regular listener. Back to my stories then. Uh, I think I've got one or two left in my list. It's a story I saw off LinkedIn. I think, Anne, you made me aware of this as well. But um, I saw a post, businesstravelnews.com. I saw it there. United Airlines will offer data feeds to concur complete and cornerstone to aid reporting for change corporate bookings. It is a story I had to read a few times to get my head around. Ash, I'm sure. Uh, what do you make of this? I'd be very interested in your view on this. Is this, you know, just part of the game? Is this new? What is what is the impact here? Well, I think that the impact here is that they're trying to figure out how they can take bookings that are made and changed offline, meaning out of the managed programs and directly with the airline and feed it back into the actual reporting system, right? So most uh, TMCs are using uh, either Cornerstone or Concur. Uh, and of course, uh, by default, most companies are using Cornerstone, uh, whether they know it or not. Uh, that's probably the mid-office system that's supporting their program. So United sees this as an opportunity to say, hey, if we know this is a corporate booking and we know that the travel is making a change, then can we not feed the change back into the company's mid-office system? In this case, it's uh, concurrent complete they're talking about. I was actually surprised by the statistic, right? So it's just, the stats are that over 10,000 tickets a day are changed 
of course, we know that travelers do this, but I was surprised at the fact that the number is over 10,000 a day. So that's a huge uh, number that United has admitted to being a reality of how often this happens. Kudos again to United. I think they're clearly moving towards their omni-channel being agnostic, really. So the customer can seamlessly move between channels. This goes hand in hand with the United philosophy that the barriers between the travel sellers and the airline should actually come down and it should be so much easier for the customer to, it should be customer first, right? And the customer should be able to get service wherever that customer is. Very good, guys. Those were the stories on my list. I have a quick trivia for you this week, um, which I'm going to test your knowledge on, because um, which is the oldest airline in the world? They celebrated their birthday last week. I think, and you might know this, so shall we try, Ash? <laughs> you get bonus points if you can pronounce their name. The oldest airline in the world? British Airways? <laughs> no, they just act that way. <laughs> Somebody. pronounce their name. I love that. Yes. I thought it was KLM. It right? is KLM. Well done. And that is correct. That is the answer. Yeah. So, um, Gunnar really? KLM is the oldest airline? I had no idea. Yes. Yeah, so, last week on the 7th of October, they celebrated their 104th birthday. Congratulations to the Koninklijk Luchtvaartmaatschappij, Bay, uh, which is the Dutch name for KLM. Oh, wow. That's yeah. what you meant. I could never say that in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. And then one other thing that caught my eye this morning, another Qantas story. I don't know, you must have picked this up, and I saw this on the Travel Weekly Australian website, but the head of loyalty, Olivia Wirth, she's leaving. So there's a bit of a shake-up there in management, and she's actually done really well with Qantas, a lot of contributions, so I don't know why she's leaving, but uh, yeah, she's she is leaving. Well, they're, she's leaving because they didn't do right by their travelers. That's correct, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, on the other side, Rian, we have Air New Zealand, right? I mean, Air New Zealand just announced a extension, a sixth extension, by the way, uh, of their COVID credits. So, you know, you can now use your credits up to the year 2026, which is remarkable. And they've been doing this properly, even though 85% have already redeemed them. They still are holding on to the remaining 15%, which is about $100 million US. And they're hoping that these people use their credit. So this is proactive Mm. versus reactive, which is why she's leaving. That's really sad. I mean, something that that caused, of course, my attention. I don't know if you guys followed that, but the election that was in Australia the sort of yes, no vote to the changes to the, um, uh, to legislation, right, for the um, uh, Aboriginal people. And um, Qantas actually painted three. I, I found this really, they had three planes painted with the library yes to the vote. You know, I just thought it was really bizarre because, I mean, um, an airline sort of getting itself involved into the political discussion in, in a country. And uh, and then, of course, the, the vote turned out to be no. So um, I, I guess repainting will be imminent. But don't you find that a bit sort of odd? I mean, couldn't the money have been spent a bit more wisely? That's all I've got to say about it. Oh, I 100%. And I mean, you know, I, I messaged you about this. I said, it, haven't they learned that, you know, companies and politics just don't mix, right? It's just one of those no. big no-nos. So... And do you have another extra story? I'll just very quickly uh, say that I noticed that the uh, the Lowry family in Italy have increased their how much they own their stake in North Atlantic, which I find really interesting. That family, they're in shipping. Do so, they know something we don't? Exactly. There's probably a story behind the story <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, we know that Norris are not doing financially so well. And uh, they're, they're just buying more and more shares. Over to you, Ash. 
Space News. All right. Is that, is that right, Ash? Do you have a Space News story for us? Rian, now you and Qatar have something in common uh, because Qatar has announced that they're going to be using Starlink on their planes. Uh-huh. And uh, they're going to be one of the first uh, airlines to deploy. This is part of their five-star onboard experience where every user will get free ultra-fast Wi-Fi courtesy of Starlink. Of course, uh, for those that don't know, Starlink is a low-orbit uh, uh, satellite constellation designed to deliver broadband internet to everybody. And a lot of the uh, cruise ships around the world have been deploying Starlink. It only makes sense that airlines would do the same. Now you have Qatar Airways doing that. Of course, there's some other airlines that are in queue, JSX, Hawaiian, Air Baltic, and Zip Air, all looking to deploy Starlink very soon. That was my story number one. Story number two of Space News is that this past Friday, SpaceX launched their Falcon Heavy rocket, part of NASA's mission uh, to go to a distant asteroid called Psyche. So NASA is uh, flying this uh, the spacecraft about the size of a tennis court, uh, about six years, two billion miles, Mars and Jupiter, uh, to study an asteroid that has a very high rich content of metal on it. All of this is about a billion dollars of, uh, of initiative. Uh, SpaceX is part of that, uh, receiving about $130 million to launch the mission. There's so many things in that sentence you just mentioned, which is mind-boggling. I'm trying to catch up. You know, the size of a tennis court, flying at the speed, flying at the speed. It's insane. So, wow. Just wow. That was this week's... Space News! But I just want to say... Thank you, Anne and Ash and Mohit for your contributions. Well done, Laura. Thank you, Susan, for joining us this week and giving us those statistics. We do this every week, but from my side, I just want to say thank you. Over to you, Anne. Thank you, everyone, and a special thanks go to Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, to Laura for being our link of the week. And, again, as always, thank you to you guys and Mohit. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday. And it is all about linking the travel industry. Please do share this event with everyone that you know. If you enjoyed the session today, chances are high that others that you know will as well. If you cannot make it because of time zone or availability, the session is available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. 